We have been doing a study on the new covenant, and we're going to continue this study. Uh, what I want to talk about this starting this morning is the new covenant works. The new covenant works. And I want to talk about that today. I want you to understand what our works are as people under grace. Oftentimes people come to a wrong conclusion that if you're under grace, then works are no more. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. You have to denote and understand the difference between a dead work and a good work. And so the, the good works are the things that we are supposed to be active in in our life, but not a dead work. And so we're going to begin to distinguish between those. It's probably going to take us a, a few weeks to do this, but I want you to know this is what we're looking at right now. As we go forward in our study on the new covenant, I wanted to talk about the, the enemies of the new covenant, those that war against it. And so I wanted to begin this morning, and we're going to come into Romans 4, but I wanted to begin by just, you know, bringing out this thought to you of how often we look at our performance, our performance being our works, that determines our worthiness as to whether we should expect an answer from God to our prayers. We look at ourselves, have I performed well enough? Have I worked hard enough? Have I qualified myself to be able to ask God for this type of blessing in my life and receive it from the Lord? God has answered all of this for us already, and I make reference to it right now, but in Romans chapter 8, God said that if I have not spared my only son, how will I not much more give you all things? And so there wasn't anything that you did to earn the gift of Jesus Christ and his, and his eternal life. That was a free gift from God. And it is an absurd belief, which is a religious belief, that now because I've received God's gift of life through his son Jesus, I now have to earn everything else from God. That is an absurd belief. It is not a new covenant belief. But yet it is the way multitudes of people who are in the Christian life, begin to act. I'm saved by grace. God has given me a free gift through his son, Jesus. Now, anything or everything I'm going to be able to have in my Christianity is based on my performance. And that is false. The promises of God are in Christ Jesus, yes and amen. And therefore, we are to come to God and we are to believe God. The lack of assurance we may often have in our life as we're relating to God is not so much our feelings. I was speaking with somebody yesterday just in regards to my own heart, and I was just aware of my, the coldness that was in my heart. I was aware of my distractions. I was, I like to watch these YouTube videos of the Senate when they're, you know, having hearings about people that are dealing with our government. I, I like to watch these. I, I enjoy that. I like to watch Ch Charlie Kirk and I like to watch Ben Shapiro watch these things. And so yesterday morning I got up and I'm watching several of these videos and, and, and before I knew it, it was like two hours had gone by. I'd pre I'd meant to pray. I'd meant to be reading my Bible and just having a nice morning with God. And two hours went by and I just thought, man, how wasteful was my morning because I wanted to be with God. Two hours are gone now that I can't get back. And I just thought, man, my heart is just so cold. I couldn't even hear God calling me away from all of this. And so, you know, I, th I was telling somebody that night, I am so grateful 
that my access to God is not on the basis of my performance or my feelings, but it's a life of faith. And that, that I can come to God in spite of my laziness or my, my distractions that I have in life. People that try to relate with God on the basis of their performance are living under the law. They are not living under grace. They do not know if they live with God on the basis of their performance or their works. They never know for sure if they have lived up to the standard of God. They don't know if they're good enough. We basically try to be as good as each other. And then if we've really got a big request from God, then maybe I'll become just a little bit better than you. Um, you fasted for three days, I'll fast for four, and God will hear me before he hears you. You witnessed to ten people, I'll witness to fifteen. You went to the streets and you'd serve these many days, I'm going to serve one more day than you. I'm going to be better than you, and if I'm better than you, God will hear me before he hears you. That is not the new covenant. That is a religion of harassment. It's a, it's a religion of doom. In, in Romans chapter 4 and I want I want us to look through several of these things. Abraham is our father of the faith, and his faith is supposed to be an example of our life. And so I want you to see, he tells us in, in verse 2, if Abraham were justified by works, he has whereof to glory, but not before God. So if Abraham received his justification from God because he worked for it, then he would glorify himself. Look what I did. There's some of you in this room that live that way with God. You look at your life and you appreciate what you've become. You appreciate the life that you've lived. You appreciate that you're not a criminal. You have, you have not been incarcerated. You have not... Um, abused people. You have not you've been a crook. You've not been a thief. You've not been a gambler. You've been an upstanding and you, you're grateful that that is the life that you have. You don't see yourself in the life of somebody else. So you pity those people. You have great compassion upon those, but that's them and you're different. And you know, you have maybe the, the potential of being something like that, but you're not, you're grateful for that. And a lot of times we glorify ourselves because of these things. But the scriptures tell us in verse 3 that Abraham believed God. And it was this belief that was accounted to him for righteousness. So listen to this. Verse 4. Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. So somebody that's trying to relate with God on the basis of works. They're not dealing with God through grace. They're dealing with God on the basis of debt. For example, if, if, if I was in need of money and, and let's say, you know, Brad's got this, this, uh, photograph job he's doing and I need, I need some money. And so I tell Brad, I need some money. Brad says, okay, work with me for five hours and then I will pay you. So I'm doing this in a system of debt. I, the, the, every hour I work with him puts him in my debt to that degree. Because we have this understanding that you're going to pay me this much money to do these many hours. And so I have to put in the hours to get that from him. So it's not on the basis of grace that, that I'm getting this from Brad. I've got to work the hours in order to get the payment. 
But my son or my daughter, when they would come to me and they're in need of something, then out of the generosity of a father's heart, I may help my kids. And not because it's on the basis of debt, but it's because it's on the basis of grace that my children are able to access the things that are in my life because of relationship. So verse 3, what is your relationship with God? When you pray, what is it like? Do you believe you're going to have your answers from prayer because you're in grace with God or you're in works with God and you're never quite sure? And verse 5 says, To him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So the righteousness that somebody can have is a righteousness that comes by faith In a God who is able to justify the ungodly. God can justify the ungodly. Not on the basis of works, but on the basis of faith. So now we have two economies that people relate to God with. And you can relate with God only in one of these economies. You cannot do it in both. One of the greatest things in the New Testament about people falling away from their faith, falling away from Jesus Christ, is not on the basis of how much they can sin, but they try to establish a holiness before God outside of grace and in their works. And this is where oftentimes in the New Testament, people are losing, if you will, or forfeiting their salvation, falling from grace, if you will, because they're going back to performance to try to gain things with God. So you can't be in a relationship with God on works and faith. It is works or faith in regards to Romans chapter 4. And so how do you relate with God even when you pray? Because you know, when you pray, you know, you know, well, I haven't been really good. I haven't been really faithful. I haven't really done this. And so God's probably not too pleased with me and God's not going to hear my prayers. So you're really, even though you tag Jesus name at the end of your prayer, you're really not coming to God through Jesus Christ. You're coming to God through yourself. And if you feel good about yourself, then you believe that God owes this to me. But if you don't feel good about yourself, then you begin to wonder, well, I'm just going to throw this prayer up there and maybe God will be merciful to me. I sure don't deserve it. And so you have a relationship with God based upon one of those. And if your relationship with God is based upon works, you're not justified by God. You do not have the the righteousness of God. You're still striving after a righteousness of your own. And you're not in relationship with the Lord. It's very serious, very serious that we examine this in our life. Even David described the righteousness of God that would be imputed to men. Not worked for, but imputed in verse 6. That God imputes righteousness without works. And he said, those whose iniquities are forgiven are blessed whose sins are covered. Blessed, in verse 8, is the man whom the Lord will not impute sin. Well, where does God not impute sin? Well, just so you see it, keep your place, but go to chapter 5 and notice verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. 
So if you want to come to a place in your relationship with God where God does not impute sin, you have to get out of the law and you have to get into grace. If you don't get out of the law, then you're still in the law. And if you're still in the law, then sin is still imputed to you. But if you want to get in a relationship with God where God does not impute sin to you, you have to get free from the law. And to get free from the law is to come into grace, to come into the new covenant, to come into the life that God offers us through his son, Jesus Christ. This is a very real transition. This is not saying a sinner's prayer and then trying to be religiously faithful to church the rest of my life. It's a relationship with God that disturbs your whole life in a good way. And so he says this blessing doesn't just come to the Jews in verse 9, but it also comes to the Gentiles. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. But when was this faith reckoned to Abraham for righteousness? Well, it was before there were ever any Jews. Abraham was a Gentile. So Abraham received the righteousness of God by faith before he was ever circumcised. His righteousness did not come through circumcision. It came through faith when he was a Gentile. And then that faith would show itself up in a life that he lived with God. And so he receives the sign of circumcision, verse 11, after all of these things had happened. Now he's the father of the Jews, in verse 12, he's the father of circumcision, to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which had been yet uncircumcised. So we're to walk in Abraham's faith. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Verse 14, for if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect because the law is associated with works and faith is associated with grace. And so if through the law you can be an heir of God, then there is no need for faith because all of your hope is in yourself to be able to do the law, but you cannot. And that promise becomes of no effect. But verse 15, it's beautiful. Because the law works wrath. But where no law is, there is no transgression. You want to get to a place where there is no law in your life. And if you don't get to that place, then you're still having sin imputed to you. You have to get free from that. So he says in verse 16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to that which is of the law, the Jews, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, the Gentiles, who is the father of us all. As it's written, I've made you a father of many nations before whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. Now here's Abraham's faith, who against hope believed in hope. Have you ever become so frustrated with yourself and your circumstances and your situations that you would practically give up hope? What is the use? What is the use? I keep 
just stumbling or I keep failing and, and, but yet faith rises up against that and causes you to hope still. Not in yourself, but to hope in God. And so who against hope believed in hope? It was an impossibility what Abraham was facing. It was against all odds. There was no natural hope in it, but he believed in hope. That he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall your seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God. That's saving faith. That is sanctifying faith. You do not stagger at the promise of God. You believe that the God I surrender to, the God I put my trust in, the God I put my faith in to save me is the God who can sanctify me and get me to heaven and make me like Jesus Christ. I do not stagger at that promise. But if it were up to me to make myself like Christ, I would be a miserable wretch. And I would be frustrated and I would be like tens of thousands, if not millions of people who had been to church and they're never going back because they said, you know what? I tried that Christianity stuff. I tried that Jesus. It didn't work for me. And they staggered at the promise of God. They didn't have faith in the God who could do it because they couldn't do it. And they didn't believe that God could do it. And so he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. And I love this word strong in faith. The word strong means to empower, to enable. And this is what it means. He was enabled in faith. He was empowered in faith. <clears throat> Sometimes we think Abraham was just a mighty man of faith. But the actual truth is... That Abraham was strengthened in his faith. Abraham's faith was enabled by the grace of God. We've all known his testimony. We've all seen his weaknesses. We've all understood his perversions. We've all understood his temptations. He did not walk a perfect walk. But he didn't stagger at the promise of God. And God strengthened his faith. And God enabled his faith. And that's the way it is with many of you. The devil launched his greatest attacks against your life. You were supposed to be defeated. That sin you just committed, that the devil enticed you to commit, that was supposed to take you out. That was supposed to cause you to give up. That was supposed to cause you to lose hope. That was supposed to cause you, you know what, I'm just not cut out for this Christianity stuff. And I'm grateful and glad and happy for those that are. That's what that last sin that Satan was leading you into was supposed to do to your life. But what happened? Because you have relationship with God through grace. God strengthened your faith. God enabled your faith to fall on your knees and fall on your faith. And confess this before God and believe I'm going to keep on going with Jesus. Because he's going to get me. That. That's what God does for our faith when we're born again and in the grace of God. It's beautiful. He doesn't do that for everybody. But the everybody he doesn't do it for are those that are under the law. 
And they're not under grace. That's why so many people don't continue in Christ. That's why so many people don't continue in church life. That's why so many people don't continue in the fellowship of Christianity. They don't have the faith of Abraham. They live by a life of works. And he says in verse 21, he was fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. I am fully persuaded that Jesus Christ can make me holy. I am fully persuaded that Jesus Christ can save me. I am fully persuaded that Jesus Christ can make me like himself. I am fully persuaded that Jesus Christ can stand me before his father in heaven, holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in the sight of the judge. I'm fully persuaded of that. When I look at myself, I would be filled with fear. But when I look at Jesus, I'm full of confidence. And therefore, in verse 22, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Why? He didn't stagger at the promise. He allowed God to strengthen his faith. He was fully persuaded. Therefore, verse 22, it was imputed to him for righteousness. That's saving faith. That's a saving relationship with God. Those elements of faith. And I pray that you examine your life to make sure those are the elements of your life. Now, this wasn't written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him. But for all of us, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Not if we work, but if we believe. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, listen. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace. You have access into grace through faith. But you have to access it. You have to do that. And this is a beautiful chapter about the relationship that we can have with God. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, is that there's a lot of false grace teachings and there's a lot of ideas and, and, and insinuations that, well, now, you know, it's like not of works and we're not supposed to work and we're not supposed to work to try to get debt with God. And so therefore, you know, if I want to stay in grace, I can't work anymore. And I'm not going to read my Bible because that's a work. And I'm not going to go to church because that's a work. And I'm not going to tithe because that's a work. That's legalism. And you're telling me that I've got to come to prayer meeting. That's legalism. You're putting me under works. And that is what a lot of false grace teachings have produced. So James says something like this, and we'll come back to this in the next couple of weeks. But James says that Abraham was justified by his works. What does that mean? We know there's not a discrepancy in the Bible. We know there's not a contradiction in the Bible. But how do we know that Abraham believed God? How do we know that Abraham had faith with God? How do we know that Abraham did not stagger in the faith? How do we know that Abraham was persuaded in the promise and persuaded that God was able? How do we know that? Because of the life of faith. And faith without works is dead. The works do not put God in my debt. The faith is my relationship with God, but the faith is the fact that I believe what God said is true. Therefore, I'm living in that. And so a lot of times these 
lessons on grace that are very dangerous because they pervert people from really going on with God and all of the beauty and the blessings that God has for men to enjoy. I want you to see this for a moment about grace. The moment we have to improve ourselves and become more morally suitable to be saved, or if we're already saved, to be more deeply blessed, then grace is no more grace. To him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. And to those that don't work is the reward of grace. Indeed, to try to be a better and more active Christian in order to experience personal renewal or revival is nothing more than an attempt to put God in my debt so that he will owe me his blessing. And so people have manipulated the teaching of fasting and prayers. And it's become a means of trying to put God in debt. I have grown up my whole life hearing people and Christians and preachers and evangelists all say that the reason we don't have revival is because we're not holy enough. Dear God, the reason we need revival is because we're not holy enough. The reason we don't have revival is because we didn't fast enough. We didn't pray enough. If you would have prayed one more night, the healing would have come. What manipulation. What false religion. What untruth. Promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So Romans chapter 12 kind of brings us to really the concentration of this life. In Romans chapter 12, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And, and that, that word present would be like a soldier coming out and presenting himself to a sergeant or presenting himself to a captain because he was called and he presents himself there and he says, I'm here to serve you. I'm at your service, whatever the order is, whatever the command is, right? And that's that soldier. And, and this is what God is telling us right here. Your reasonable service, you're under grace now, you're not under the law. You have a relationship with God that is on the basis of faith and not on the basis of works. So what should your life look like? Sleep in. Don't go to church. You don't have to read your Bible. You're in grace. You don't have to pray. You're under grace. You don't have to give. You don't have to tithe. You don't have to give offerings. You're under grace. That's all legalism, really. Well, then how in the world do you even begin to do Romans chapter 12, verse 1, which means you separate yourself even from Christians and you present yourself to God to be holy and acceptable unto him, a living sacrifice, my whole self, my body, I present to God. I do that. And so in grace, what we focus upon what we're moved by, what our attention is, is the worship of Jesus Christ. The worship of him. And under law, men are obsessed with the works of religion. 
But people that are under grace and walking with God in this economy of new covenant, they're obsessed with worshiping him. And when you worship him, you adore him. He is your God. In this common phrase, you idolize him. And it's good to idolize Jesus. It's good to worship Jesus. He, you're infatuated with him. All of your affections are towards him. You love him. What is that love and that drive going to do with you? It is going to cause you to serve him. Not like the legalists do, but they're not going to be able to keep you away from church. Why? Because you're in love with Jesus. And they're not going to be able to keep you from giving your tithes and offerings. Just like many of you do when we forget. Hey, you forgot the offering. And they tell you, because I want to give. Why do they do that? Because they're in love with Jesus. And why do they want to go on the streets? They're in love with Jesus. And why do they want to pray? Because they're in love with Jesus. And why do they want to fast? Because they're in love with Jesus. And I'm sick and tired of watching Ben Shapiro when I can be with God. What's wrong with me? You know? And so that's the, it's the motive of worship. And when you have that worship, you're going to give God everything. Everything. And you're going to want to give him everything. And there's no legalism in that at all. Now, in Hebrews chapter 9, coming to one of our texts, our foundations, that's going to launch us into the next couple of weeks with this about our, our works and grace. And I believe it's going to be a really great benefit to your life to have freedom, to have joy, to have liberty, to have relationship with God. So in Hebrews chapter 9, he tells us this. I'm just trying to see a good place. Verse 11, but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That's to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. I'm persuaded of that. I don't stagger at that. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, here it is, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So do not think for one moment that because you're under grace now and you have a relationship with God through faith and you're not under the law and you don't have a relationship with God with works that there is no service that you render to God. That's absurd. Absolutely you serve God. You're saved to serve the Lord. And it is an honor to serve God. It is a privilege to serve God. But no longer do you have to perform dead works. You can now serve God in a living way. And that is the difference that I pray that the Holy Spirit will help me describe and bless you with as we go through this and try to understand everything that God has for it. I'm going to close with this. Call if you want to come up. Whatever my works prove, other than my faith, it is a dead work. If my works are not the result of my faith, they are a dead work. It is not true service. Whatever's not of faith is sin. And so please understand that. So if my works 
are trying to prove anything else, if they're trying to attain to anything else, it's a dead work. But if my works are proving my faith, then it is a service. If I look to any work and by that derive a sense of worthiness, holiness, or qualification, it is a dead work. Whatever I am or have, and I cannot say it is by the grace of God, then it is a dead work. Now, we're so religiously trained that we know as Christians to be always say, well, it's by God's grace, of course. But a vast majority of Christians who say that do not mean it at all. They did it. Just look at the way they treat other people. They did it. Whatever is not of faith is is sin, and it is not pleasing to God. Therefore, Paul would say, I am what I am by the grace of God. His grace was not given to me in vain. Many preach what the saved man must do, and the focus becomes on what the man must do. And he is obsessed with himself and doing. But when a person comes into the new covenant, he is obsessed with Jesus and with being. And becoming. The gospel is always set upon Jesus Christ. And what Jesus Christ can do with the man. How Jesus can save the man. My works prove my faith. I go to church by faith. Why do I do that? I go because the Bible says the Holy Spirit lives in this house. I want to be affected by him. I want to be intimate with him. I go because the Bible says that this blesses the Lord for us to fellowship together. I want to bless the Lord. But many people go to church because that's what you grew up doing. It means nothing to you, really. It just makes you feel good about yourself. It's a dead work. That's a dead work. I pray by faith. I pray by faith. I believe that he exists. I believe he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. My faith tells me that. Therefore, I do pray because I want to be with God. I sing by faith. I study by faith. I want to be a workman who rightly divides the word of truth. Therefore, I study the word of God. But I'm motivated to do it by faith, not to become something, but because I want to know someone. Even the purging of myself is by faith to believe God. That I can be free. That I want to love God. And in a great house there are many vessels. Some vessels to honor and some vessels to dishonor. And so Paul says to Timothy. Purge yourself Timothy if you want to be a vessel of honor. Well I love God. I want to be a vessel of honor to God. I don't want to be a a tool in the barn that God can hardly ever use. I don't want to be an instrument in the house that God can ever take and do great things through. So I want to purge myself so that the God that I love so much will be able to have profit through my life. So that's that's my motivation is the faith and the love that I have for God because love is profitable. Work and debt drives you. But faith is built around the promises and it pulls you. Abraham was told by God, I have a city that I have built 
and it's yours, Abraham. Walk with me, and I'll bring you to it. And by faith, Abraham left everything looking for that city. He wasn't driven out of his hometown. He wasn't driven from his family. He wasn't driven from his pagan gods. He met a God he fell in love with. And this God made him a promise. And Abraham believed it. And he left everything to find that city. And today, he's sitting in that city. And if you're of that faith, you'll sit with him in that city. So examine yourself. What's your relationship with God? Death works. Faith. Assurance. Confidence. Of who Jesus is to you. Or how badly you fail to measure up. You're going to be that Christian who always goes, I'm so unworthy. They don't need me. They don't need me in the church. It's okay if we don't go. It's okay if we're not around. It's okay if we're not there. There is a life. A life of love. Gives the king everything. Father, I pray that as we sit before you for a few minutes, and I just invite you if you want to make an altar and come and let's call a minister's this song. Just let God minister to you. Maybe repent. Repent of your heart. Repent of your distractions. Repent of your works. Trust Jesus. Believe on Jesus. Maybe this morning there's just this hint. You know what? Maybe I'm not even justified by God. Maybe I'm still under the law and God's imputing sin to me. Boy, you're going to have wrath against your life if you don't get out of that. You need to get out of it. You need to be born again. You need a life of faith. Life of grace. It's not going to cause you to sit in your living room and be inactive with the people of God. It's a new life. The Spirit comes in you. He strengthens your faith. You keep going. You keep believing. You live through offenses. You live through betrayals. You live even after people gossip about you and hurt you, even in the house of God. Because God strengthens.